welcome to the Wellbeing and Career World podcast. I'm delighted to be chatting with the founder and CEO of Avara Careers, a career coaching business. She's worked in all sizes of the hiring equation as a recruiter, hiring manager, and a career counselor, serving in the corporate world, nonprofits, and academia. When it comes to the hiring process and how it works from the inside, she's seen it all. Today, we'll be chatting about steps to a career change. A very well welcome to the podcast, Sarah Baker. Andras, a very good morning to you, Sarah. How are you doing? Good morning. I'm doing well. And how about you? Wonderful. I'm going to get this one started. So where are you right now on planet Earth? Yeah, I am in Wilmington, Delaware. And if you don't know American geography, Delaware is a teeny tiny state, the first state of the United States. We sit between Pennsylvania, Maryland, and across the river, New Jersey. So right now at this moment of time, what is the temperature in Fahrenheit? I'm assuming it's quite chilly. It's very chilly. It's in, it's in the mid twenties here. And that's Fahrenheit, is it? That's Fahrenheit. Yeah. Oh my word. Okay, that's that's, that's pretty 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 cold. Below oh, freezing. Yeah. A little bit free. Okay. And <laughs> in, in Dublin, I think today it's seven degrees Celsius. So I don't think we're All as right, cold, so cold as you guys. Not yeah. even close. No. no, no. I think it's like like a heat wave at the moment in Dublin. Yeah, and Paris especially uh, especially if you add the wind chill. Oh, yes, yes, without a doubt. Um, Okie dokie. So, Sarah, let's get right into this. So I gave a little brief introduction about your background. Can you tell our listeners more about yourself? Sure. Um, You know, I realized at some point that I have spent my entire career immersed in everybody else's careers. And what this means is that I really became fascinated I think it must have been in graduate school. I became fascinated by how careers uh, evolve and how people choose careers and how sometimes careers choose us because I was working as a graduate assistant in a career services office. And at the time, most of the students I were working with were actually adult students. They were coming back to college to maybe update their skills, or perhaps they'd experienced a layoff, or we had a lot of military veterans as well. It was so inspiring to see uh, adults who were in some cases significantly older than me, to see that they were really uh, lifelong learners. And that um, some of them had just made the wrong choice in terms of their first career. Some of them had no choice. Uh, what I learned is that we have far more control than we might think we do over our careers and that it doesn't have to be a one and done forever decision. I'm so glad that I learned that early in my own career. And I was lucky enough to have my career choose me because I just became fascinated by uh, all of these issues and with work being so present, certainly in our culture, so present and part of our life. Sometimes we spend more time at work than we do with our families. It's critical that we have a good fit. And I like to help people find that. Do you think then, Sarah, I mean, you mentioned their wrong choice of career. Do you think sometimes, depending on the personal circumstances of the individual, that we may just jump into a job, you know, without fully understanding or appreciating that this might not be the job for us. So say, for example, financial reasons, I need some money. I just take this job and get myself working. Does that, does that cause problems then down the road? 
It certainly does. Although I would never tell anybody not to take a job if you need it to support yourself. What I think is a good perspective for handling those inevitable circumstances for so many of us is to look at each job, even the one we take just because we have to, as an opportunity to learn about ourselves and to not look at that as a, uh, as a permanent fixture in our life, but rather as an opportunity to pick up some skills, like what could I learn here? What uh, concrete hard skills could I develop? What soft skills like uh, character building skills could I get here? Could I learn about how to deal with customers? Could I learn about how to handle money? Could I learn about myself and what makes me most productive or efficient? Uh, and then there are the hard skills too. Uh, whatever that role requires. And if we look at that initial job as merely a uh, experience that is going to contribute to the next thing, then it becomes a little bit more tolerable to sit there until the next thing comes along. Right. Or we choose to pursue it. So our podcast today is generally we're trying to find like steps for career change, especially there during this time of the pandemic mm. that a lot of people have lost their jobs and maybe they've been in a job for so long. And then there's a, the, what's it a statement? Is it a great resignation? Yes. Or the where, big quit. If you're just quitting, like, you know, and all of a yeah. sudden it's like, I've had enough of this place and it's time to move on. So is it then, is it easy to change career? Say for example, as a 40 year old or a 50 year old, mm. all that time you've been in one job and one place, or is it quite difficult? So I guess I would characterize the choice to make a career change as not an easy or difficult thing, but rather a priority. Uh, how much of a priority it is for you is going to determine what it takes for you to get it done. Because, um, you know, it's very easy to get comfortable in a role. But if you've chosen to quit, there have got to be some pretty big reasons why you're leaving. Yes. And so then you have the motivation, which makes a job search easier because you're motivated to find something else. The biggest obstacles in a job search are not what most people think they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest job obstacles in a job search are, are uh, mindset and um and preparation so how easy is it for you to get some insight into your own mindset and what you're going to need to be successful in your search versus me are going to be quite different what's easy for you might be very difficult for me so i really try to avoid the black and white definitions of what's an easy job to get or what's a really hard job to get but rather you know how are you navigating the inevitable obstacles of a job search? If we think about this, you know, is anything more fraught with disappointment, insecurity <laughs> than, <laughs> than putting ourselves out there? Not, I, I would argue very few things, perhaps dating and relationships, but we set ourselves up for rejection every day in a job search. So how prepared are you for that? And approaching it with the right mindset can make it far easier because most of us make it too hard on ourselves 
we spend too much time with it. We put too much control in somebody else's hands. We don't have to do that. I like the way you said that too much control in somebody else's hands. So is that like we're so dependent then? So say, for example, we're in a job for 20 or 25 years that we become kind of relaxed or settled, that we don't we don't progress or we don't upskill and we don't try to improve our chances. Is that is that what you're trying to get at? Absolutely that. And even taking that a step further, if we've become complacent in our roles because it's good enough and it meets our needs, then not only are, uh, is it likely that our skills may not meet the current demand, uh, but we're failing to take control by expecting our employer to help us upskill or yes. send us to training or get us new technology when we ought to be attending to that ourselves. But let's say that that is past. There's nothing we can do about that. And now here we are looking for something new. What I mean by control there is actually a little bit nuanced because most of us approach the job search wondering, oh, will they hire me? When in fact, the better question and the question that's more proactive and gives us more control is, do I want to work here? Right. Okay. okay. So if we pursue this as, do I want to work here? And we identify the skills, the knowledge, the experience, examples and stories that demonstrate what we can contribute in our next role. Then we walk into a situation with far more control and we can ask questions. Tell me about the culture here. Why do you like working here? And if you're really doing a solid job search, you're not simply clicking apply and waiting for an interview. You're targeting companies you're interested in because you know that they hire people to do what you want to do and you've done your research and spoken to people at that organization and asked, you know, how do you like it there? How would you describe the management style? You're doing your homework. And then you're walking in from a position of strength. And that question, do I want to work here, actually changes the way we show up in the interview. Why then do people come to you? What's the biggest reason say, for example, why they want to change career? Or is it just dependent on the individual? So when people come to Avara Careers and they come to speak to you and your team, what, what's the biggest reason that you find over the yeah. last number of years? I think there are several reasons. The number one reason is they do not know how to find a job that's going to be a good fit for them. And they know instinctively and often from their own experience of applying for hundreds of jobs and hearing nothing they know that what they're doing isn't working. They know that clicking apply isn't working. And what my business does is help them develop a personalized, almost an attack plan, a job search strategy with what to do instead, what is working instead. How do I find the 80% of jobs that are never gonna show up on a public job board? So, we provide a tremendous amount of support and coaching and direction for what to do instead and how to accelerate the process, how to get in front of hiring managers. That's number one. Number two is that 
many people, particularly the ones you mentioned, who have been in a, a company, the same company for 20 odd years, they haven't really interviewed in a long time. So they've perhaps gotten promotions, but that interview is not the same. And particularly in this pandemic season, the interviewing process itself has changed dramatically with the virtual nature of interviews and how much more involved the interview process is today, where you're interviewing with many people, often over the course of a number of days in anywhere from three to even, I've heard five, six, seven interviews before getting an offer because employers are being very cautious in their hiring decisions. Right. And so somebody who's only worked for one company for, for a number of years needs to know how to navigate that process. And we coach on that interview preparation and making sure that you're ready to, uh, to really go in and put your best, you know, your best effort forward and you know what to expect. What about then, Sarah? So you mentioned there, like, say, say, for example, an individual has only worked for one company, and then you have the opposite effect where an individual has job popped a lot mm. and maybe worked for, say, 10 companies in the same period of time. <laughs> How then do you manage that, especially on the CV? Because there's obviously on social media platforms like LinkedIn and so on, where you have your, your career history. And I'm sure there's recruiters looking at it going, okay, this this lady has worked one job for 25 years. Oh, sounds, seems very loyal. And then you have the other person, the gentleman, oh, he's worked 10 jobs in the last 25 years. So how then can you, can you manage the opposite side? Well, I'll tell you something, and this may be a surprise to you, but I recently had a client who came to me and had been at the same company for 17 years. And her biggest concern was that that was now seen as a negative. Wow. Okay. Her biggest concern was that she, and the reason she came to me was that she was getting feedback that uh, she was perceived particularly in um, a relatively, not a tech company, but a rel relatively technological industry uh, where they use a lot of tech, uh, that, that it was thought that she had, had not had enough experience making uh, the kinds of change and adapting to new technologies that was going to be required of her because she'd only been with the same company and she'd never proven that she could transition to a new culture, new technology, new people, different climate. So what we're discovering is that there is actually this pendulum is swinging right. and there is a, uh, a strong desire on the part of recruiters to see adaptability. They want to know, are you going to be able to hit the ground running here? And can you tell me a story of where you recently did that? And right. by recently, that means in the last five years, because so much is changing in the workplace right now. So actually, you know, in contrast to the story I just uh, shared, had another client who has 
really done a lot of what, you know, we would call old school job hopping. (laughs) And he was, he was quite concerned for all the reasons that you stated. And so we looked at his resume and we looked about how could we consolidate some of this stuff and really sort of try to minimize that. But he was getting so many interviews because people really appreciated the way he presented it as a opportunity to really learn what type of industry was going to be a great fit for him and to pick up some very specific skills. He was able to present it as uh, somewhat intentional of I went here because I could learn X and I went there because I could learn Y. And now I have X, Y, and Z. And I've always been interested in this industry. And here's what I can bring to the table. And I think a lot of employers are now expecting turnover and they just want to get the best person who can deliver and hit the ground running for however long you stay. Right. And then what about then if you say, for example, you have a very rigid company and very kind of high level corporate where you know they, they demand loyalty and dedication to the to the cause of the company so how then so your your second example there of, of um how how then could he possibly or she possibly explain well i am loyal and then the interviewer goes well 10 jobs man in the past six six years but i'm, I'm uh, so loyal <laughs> well it, it wasn't 10 <laughs> no. well, but but how would you answer that one then my answer might surprise you my answer is he doesn't want to work for that company okay all right okay because this gets to fit and right. one of the most important things we can do before we even begin this process is look at ourselves don't look out there and start hopping on job boards first. Look at our, look at yourself first. So what, what this young man knew about himself was that he was extremely creative, very ambitious, that he loved learning new things, and that once he had mastery of something, he got bored. Right. Well, okay. And that's part of the coaching process is to really, and it's where I start with my clients. We sat down and we actually walked him through a exercise I developed called the ideal job. And that involved, you know, what skills does he want to use in the job? What type of of work climate and environment is going to be best for him? How about management style? Where has he thrived and where has he suffered? We really went through step by step where he had the most energy in a job so that we could identify the characteristics of the employer where he would have the best chance of thriving and growing and even moving around within that organization so that he could establish some more stability than he had had in the past. When applying for jobs then, Sarah, should we stop just pressing click to apply? and then throwing out our CV rather than kind of focusing. I mean, what what would you suggest? Should we be looking to apply for as many jobs in a week as a target, or should we just focus on maybe one or two positions? Yes, please stop clicking. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But what about, do you know, we have these social media platforms. I won't mention who they are, but they have these kind of easy apply or click to apply or you have, uh, you, you can upload, upload all your information, you just press easy apply or click apply or whatever it is, and then your, your information is sent to the employer. Is that a bad thing or a good thing? 
let me paint a picture for you from the recruiting angle because I used to be on the corporate side of things. So if we remember that if we are easy applying, then thousands of other people are also easy applying. And we put ourselves in the shoes of that recruiter or that hiring manager for a moment and think, well, how is that individual going to assess my application among all the others that they're getting easy apply? Yes. And the fact is that no human is ever going to get eyeballs on your resume. Uh, we know that these online job boards are getting between 250 and 300 applications per opening, one per single opening. We right. also know that 85% of people who successfully land the job they want are getting to that, not by clicking apply, but by somebody they know or have chosen to meet within the organization. So employee referrals are really the key to a successful job hunt. And this is one of the things I work with my clients on is how do we identify people within an organization that, um, that are going to be willing to talk to us about how they like working there, answer some questions we might have about the role or the company, and then perhaps even be our advocate once they get to know us as a great candidate for the job. So I'll give you a perfect scenario. When I was a hiring manager and somebody would leave my team, you would think the first thing I would want to do would be get that job posted. But that was not the first thing I did. The first thing I did was call in everybody on the team and say, what are we looking for in this next person? And we'd all talk about that. And then I'd say, okay, now that we have that profile, who do we know? Right. And everybody would think about, gosh, who's contacted me in a networking capacity in the last year? Oh, you know what? That, uh, that colleague of mine referred a friend and I think she would be a great candidate for this job. So what I always recommend is if you're going to apply online, which you have to anyway, eventually, you are pairing that application with some connection within the organization. And that will dramatically increase the odds of getting your resume in front of a hiring manager. So you mentioned there, Sarah, with regards to maybe uh, kind of referral or, uh, you know, that person or individual may be a great candidate. So say, for example, that great candidate has the skills, but they don't have the piece of paper or the qualification. How then can you get around that? I love that question. The key is really knowing stories that demonstrate your skills. So one of the things you can do is you can think about high point moments in your life and your work life, even in your personal life or a volunteer capacity. When you took something from beginning to end and you felt great about the accomplishment. And then you can dig into that experience and say, okay, uh, you know what? When I was planning that party for my parents' anniversary, I used budgeting skills. I was collaborating with my siblings. I was using research skills to identify vendors for the, for the event. I was uh, I really building relationships and doing creative work with invitations. So do you have stories in your back pocket that you can talk about yourself and what you accomplished? This does require a good bit of practice 
um, and particularly can be helpful if you're working with the coach where you could tell me about some of your accomplishments and I could help you draw that out. And well, what were those skills? And lots of people right now are getting jobs without the uh, prerequisites because they are becoming good storytellers. Right. So do, do they have to make it exciting, Sarah? Do they? Like, you know, it's, I'm, I'm the hero or the heroine. Is that how it works? <laughs> is it? Actually, an interesting question, Sarah, is that just come to my head. Should, you, should the interview be more of a chat than a structure? Because Indeed. we hear all these stories about, you know, prepare for the interview and have your answers ready. And But is it kind of a good vibe to kind of be bouncing back at the interviewer? You know, yes. kind of if they say something kind of, oh, OK, yeah, that's I get that. I get what you're going and I understand that. That's me. Rather than having a very kind of boring, hi, I'm David, I'm from Dublin. <laughs> you know what I mean? Would you, would you kind of, would that be what you would say to someone, look, this is what you should go for or stick to the structure? What I advise people is yes and. Absolutely, do your homework, go on the websites that tell you what the interview questions are gonna be and they're out there, you can find them. And prepare your answers inside out and backwards so that you know them in case you get caught up, right? Yes. And the more preparation we do, actually the better prepared we are for the unexpected question. Because then we, if we've identified our stories and we kind of know what to expect, we could say, well, you know, that's a really interesting question. And it reminds me of this. It doesn't have to be exactly on, on point to the question they asked. It can be related or something you want to share. And the other thing I'll say when I meant, when I said yes, and yes. what I meant was do the preparation and be flexible in your approach. So one of the ways you can do that to create more of a conversation like you and I are having yeah. is pivot. So what that might look like is if you asked me a typical behavioral interview question, like tell me about a time that you took a project from start to finish. Okay. And I gave you the answer I had more or less prepared and yeah. I mentioned, well, one of the project management tools that I really like using is Asana. And I'm curious, you know, how do you approach project management here? Are you using a specific software? I'd love to know what software you use, or is there, you know, what are you using to make sure that everybody's on task? And I'm actually really curious to know how your team responds best to the kinds of reminders that a project manager would have to be sending out there right excellent so then i'm very interested to know this one because especially now during uh, the period of time that we're in at the moment so say for example you have a doctor right or you have a rocket scientist and they've had enough of this job they're sick of it they've time to move on they want to like kind of either work for a golf club or they want to head off into the sunset and they might want to work in the it sector or the retail sector or a stereotypically, how would you say, would be less less qualified maybe or less training involved for certain jobs. No disrespect to anybody in the IT sector or the retail sector. But you know, we have stereotypes in our head where you look at a doctor or you'd look at a rocket scientist and you'd say, okay, well, you, you want to work in the retail? Yeah, I want to work in the retail. Like, but why? 
well, because I want to work in the retail. So how do you get over that on an interview stage when they see your CV and they go, okay, this, this lady is, she's a doctor for the last 15 years. She's a heart surgeon and she wants to work for Walmart. I mean, or she wants to work in the retail sector. How, how do you get over that? Well, you know, I have worked with a rocket scientist, believe it or okay. not. And, <laughs> and, and he very much wanted to be a rocket scientist. Okay, that's fair me. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'd say there are certain careers where the motivation is so intense that it would be unlikely for there to be such a wild uh, pivot. Yes. But to the point you're making, which is a very important one, we are not forever married to the career that we chose, even if it's a highly professional career, like a physician or a, or a scientist where it involved years and years and years of education and uh, uh, all of that may still lead to a point in one's life where we say, you know, I am no longer interested in doing this. And I'm actually working with a, a pediatrician right now Oh, okay. And, yeah, yeah. And, and um, she's a, a woman in her, uh, in her 60s. And she is no longer interested in being in private practice and dealing with some of the issues that pediatricians have to deal with, like being on call and dealing with parents and things like that. <laughs> And, and she came to me and she said, Sarah, I'm, I am not ready to stop working. I'm, you know, she's very vital. She's very bright. She's very healthy. She feels like she's easily got another 10 years ahead of her and, and strongly desires that. So we identified other organizations and types of places where a medical background would be an asset. And she is currently in the final rounds of interviewing for a position as a uh, medical compliance officer with the pharmaceutical company. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Well yeah. done to her. <laughs> now, now, how did she do that? Well, what we did was we emphasized the parts of her practice that were very corporate because the perception is, oh, well, you're a doctor. What would you know about working in a big pharmaceutical company? But in fact... Uh, in most private practice, it's become very much a corporate uh, engagement because there are insurance companies involved, because there are large hospital systems that have bought up the smaller private practices. And so she had actually been dealing in the procedures and policies of, of the corporate world uh, for much of her career and certainly more so in the last 10 years. And she was able to articulate that very specifically with stories of how she handled uh, larger decisions that were out of her control, for example. That's amazing, Sarah. I mean, for an interviewer or an organization, if a doctor came to me and I was interviewing and they said, yeah, we want to work in a pharmaceutical industry. Yep, you have the job, no problem. You have the experience, you have the knowledge. But to say, like, you know, what would you know about the pharmaceutical industry? Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah, it's yeah, so exactly. exactly. Is, that, is that ignorance? I mean, can we um, use the word ignorance on behalf of the company? I or? wouldn't use the word ignorance. In fact, I wouldn't say that at all. I would say there are some very legitimate concerns about people who are making transitions, yeah. especially uh, people of a certain age. There may be some concerns. Well, how will she adapt? Right. And so then the onus is on us as the job hunter to establish 
we understand what this role is all about. We understand what it will require. We've already done many of those things in similar circumstances. And we need to, as job hunters, anticipate the fear that is in the hiring manager's mind and address those fears with how we have pos positively uh, encountered similar challenges. Have you ever experienced with any of your clients where the hiring managers have been wrong and they've come back? They say initially they've refused a candidate and said they're not good enough or they don't, they're not suitable. And then months later, they come back and offer them the job. Has that ever happened or is it very rare? I have seen something else that's related. So a lot of my clients, and this is, this is in the current climate, and it's very interesting. I'm noticing a trend where somebody will interview with one of their target companies. And this happened with uh, a, a fellow I was working with in Washington, DC. He had been working with a government contractor and um, we were talking about his strong desire no longer to work with a government contractor. And he wanted something more aligned with his values. He had been working in the defense industry, really wanted to make a pivot to another industry. But here he was, you know, with defense industry all over his resume. Right. So we, we talked about really being uh, deliberate in choosing the next organization. And he'd identified as several of them, one in particular. And he had an interview with that company and the interview process went really well. He had talked with several people in the organization ahead of time and really identified what he wanted to emphasize about his background and his skills and his interest in making this change. So he had all that nailed down and he got through the second round and he did not get the offer. So he went back and he asked for feedback and they said, we loved you. We actually think you'd be a great fit for this organization. And we want to encourage you to apply for other roles as they come up. You were just missing this one thing. So here's the key is that he asked for feedback, which helped him tr tremendously because otherwise he would have assumed, oh, they didn't like my defense background. Right. Okay. He interviewed for the second job applied and interviewed and got that offer. Okay. Now the same thing just happened to two other clients of mine where they had targeted organizations, did not get it the first time. They asked for feedback. They were encouraged to apply again and they got the second offer. Now I think this goes to something that we all need to be aware of that one of the pieces of fallout from the great resignation is that employers are getting very gun shy. And one of the things they want to be sure of is you really like them. You're okay. not just applying wildly. You really want to work with them. And you can articulate clearly why you want to work with them and why they would be a good fit for you. And what I'm seeing happen is that a second or even a third application is being seen as, wow, she must really be interested. Right. That, that's that very is, good advice. Yeah. That is favoring clients right now. To give a picture then to the listeners who may be job hunting or career changing at the moment, in that example that you gave, uh, you know, he, he wasn't successful the first attempt. He asked for feedback. 
got the information that he needed at one point, he, he reapplied and, and was offered a position. So the listeners can understand in a big corporate culture, is there just one hiring manager or is there many? <laughs> because in that, in that situation, you would think, okay, well, this, this person has great qualifications, great skills, great background. I'll pass it on to my other colleague who's in the hiring of a different area. Do they not do that? Do they not just pass and go, look, here's Dave or here's Sarah. They're not suitable for this role, but they might be suitable for, for this role you're advertising. Does that not happen? It does happen. It happens it does. all the time. If you express the interest and you ask for feedback, you can learn things like, well, there may be an opportunity over in that other department. And then if that exchange has been positive between you and the recruiter or you and the hiring manager, you know, you can say, if I apply for this role, I'm going to give you a heads up and I'd love it if you could put in a good word for me. So it's really about how, how um, we shape the conversation and how we follow up. And for example, what I would do is, is I would go ahead and apply for another role if I've been invited to do so. And then I would email the original recruiter and the original hiring manager. And I would say, hey, I just want to thank you guys for your encouragement and wanted to let you know I saw this role over there and I've applied. I hope that uh, it all goes well and I have a chance to work with you. Well, if I'm a hiring manager, I am for sure going to forward that email to right. my friend down the hall. When then, Sarah, does it become, and it's going to sound kind of funny, but when does it become stalking then? If you're, <laughs> if you're contacting these recruitment uh -huh. managers and you send out two messages, it's been a week, you've heard nothing back, you go, okay, I'll send one more. All okay, right. nothing back again. Yeah. When is the time to say, look, look, Dave, you're being stalk you're stalking now. It's time to move, <laughs> move away, take a deep breath and start uh -huh. again. Or yeah. should you be persistent? Because we don't live, the, the world we live in now, I suppose, coming from my point, I'm not, I don't, I don't have the background or experience of, of, of yourself, but we live in this world that maybe years ago you could go and knock on the door of these big uh -huh. corporations and hand your CV in and say, hey, I'm Dave. Um, I think there's a movie there with Will Smith, The Pursuit of Happiness. And that's and he right. Kind of, he was so, you know, he was so persistent. He was driven. He, he got to meet them. He waited outside the building. But that's stalking these days. Mm. <laughs> so, so how then do you overcome that to try and, you know, to, to yeah. you want the job, but you want to say, look, guys, I don't be too pushy, but. You know, I really am interested. So when's enough enough, Sarah? <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to I want to be clear that that the scenario I just described with following up with people uh, when you're interviewing and applying for new positions, that is not stalking. That's just being a good communicator. Yeah. So I like to use a one, two, three formula for following up after an interview. It is a hundred percent dependent on your asking a very important question before you leave the interview. And that is, can you tell me about your timeline? So okay. when I've told you about the timeline and let's say I say, yeah, sure, David, I, I, you can expect to hear back from us next Friday. Okay. Well, that's fair. Um, if I don't hear back from you on Friday, I wait one week and the following Friday, I send you a message. And I say, hey, I just want to express my continued interest in the opportunity. I look forward to hearing from you. That's one. That's follow-up number one. So it's a one, two, three formula. Then you wait two weeks. 
And that message is pretty much the same, maybe with a few more details about what you were looking forward to about the opportunity or an idea you had in the meantime. And then the final one is three weeks after that. that okay. So now we are almost six weeks out from the interview, but don't let them off the hook. This okay. is the important thing. Say, hey, I'm, I just wanted to be in touch. And I'm, uh, I'm assuming that at this point, you've moved in a different direction. But right. I would like to hear back from you if you had any feedback or uh, if I'm still in consideration and your timeline has changed, could you let me know because I'm pursuing other opportunities? That's a good answer. That's yeah. a really good answer. Because it's a bit, it's a bit naughty, isn't it? You spent it the is. time. You spent the time to go for the interview. You prepared yeah. for the interview. Just tell me. Just tell me it, you don't want me. <laughs> it, it's a horror. It really is. And and what's happening is that there's such a deficit in uh, and so many openings right now that recruiters and hiring managers are overwhelmed, and their communication has has really just become horrible. Where it used to be that um, you know. We talked about ghosting only in dating terms, but now <laughs> recruiters and and, go, are, and employers are ghosting their candidates, and uh, it, it's very uncomfortable and it is not fair. But I think that one, two, three formula is pretty effective. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. And you know, you can always shorten it up if you've got, for example, a uh, some interviews coming up or even an offer from another company. Go ahead and reach out. If you're more interested in that first one, reach out and say, even if it's only been a week or 10 days and say, hey, Sarah, you know, uh, I know you're probably still in the search process. I just wanted to let you know, I wanted to, or I wanted to inquire about my status as a candidate because I'm coming up on some other interviews, but the truth is that I really would be excited and excited to work for your company. And I'd love to know if I'm still a candidate so that I can balance my uh, options here. Uh, that's, that's great advice and a great suggestion. So listeners, that's what you do. Don't give up, but don't stalk. That's, no. There's a, there's, a, there's a fine line between the two, especially today. <laughs> so Sarah, what about then where, so you want to, you have your CV, it's all prepared, it's all ready. You're going to send it off to your hopefully future employer. And you're saying you want a career change. How do you explain that? So I'm a doctor and uh, I want to work in a different area, in a different industry altogether. Do you put a little note on your CV or do you put that in the cover letter? I would absolutely put it in the cover letter. And how then would you explain it? Would you kind of say, uh, would you give a brief introduction to say, hey, I'm Dave. I'm from such and such. My background yes. is such and such. And I'm hoping yes. to move over to X, Y, Z. Yeah, so in the example of uh, Molly, the, the physician, pediatrician that I was telling you about, um, what we did was we crafted just an opening paragraph that included a reference to somebody who had recommended her for the job. So it was uh, addressed to the hiring manager, and it said, you know, at, at uh, the uh, encouragement of my friend Susan, I'm uh, forwarding my resume uh, for the for this uh, medical compliance officer role, you'll notice on my resume that for many years I've worked as a pediatrician. So you may be wondering uh, why I want to make this change. And um, 
The truth is that I've been a lifelong learner. I'm always looking for new challenges. And I recognize that a lot of what I've learned as a physician could be very helpful in a role like this. And I also am really looking forward to the more standard hours of the corporate role as compared with my on-call hours as a pediatrician. So I'm at a time when I would like to make this change and I'd welcome the chance to talk about my qualifications with you. If I receive that letter from you, Sarah, you're hired. Wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Top, top of the pile. So I'm now, I'm being very nosy, Sarah. I'm not being uh, rude to you, but I'm actually on your website here, which is alaricareers.com. <laughs> and uh, so what services do you provide? And uh, generally, can you give an outline of like, how long do you need to spend with a candidate in general to get them from, mm. say, zero to a certain level of competency that they're confident to, to, to do an interview? Sure. Uh, well, the most important key thing is that that I think has led to success or, you know, what I would consider success in my work, which is the clients reaching their goals, is that I do an initial assessment of where each individual is because no two clients are the same in terms of their preparation for this process. So what I do in that initial conversation is really, and, and that initial conversation is, is complimentary. You know, uh, you can't even work with me unless we talk first. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I do that because I wanna make sure that we're in integrity, can I help you? And then I want to make sure that I can answer the question you just asked me, David, which is yeah. how long is this going to take and what services do you need? So in that initial conversation, I will ask a bunch of questions and uh, determine, you know, um, can you answer the question? Tell me about yourself with confidence and uh, clarity. All right. Yeah. Most of us, most of us can't. So no. that's a good place to start. Um, yeah. <laughs> and even if you've been doing what you do for a number of years, if you're put on the spot and say, well, tell me about yourself and why you're interested in this role, that requires some preparation. And, and, and even if you think it doesn't, in my experience, you're probably not taking full advantage of the gift that is in that question to set yourself up as the best candidate in those first five minutes in the interview. And then I will just assess a little bit about your background, your skills, where you think you need help. Because, I mean, let's face it, we know ourselves the best. So I'll ask a question like, well, what do you think your biggest obstacles are in the job search? Or if you've already been job hunting and you're coming to me after, you know, some disappointments, what have been the obstacles that are standing in your way? And that will help me determine, well, how many sessions will this be and how long might this process take? along with what's your timeline, what are your needs, and how much time are you willing to put into this? And do you give the, uh, the clients uh, that kind of like homework to keep them hmm. focused? I do. So they, so they progress. <laughs> <laughs> and is that a weekly type of thing? Or is it kind of like, okay, as you mentioned there, like, you know, tell me about yourself. Would, you, would that be like one week? And then the second week would be like, we'll work on your CV. And then is that how it progresses? It depends on where the client is. Uh, right. So somebody could come to me and say, I have an interview in two weeks and I'll say, let's dive in. We're going to get you prepped for that interview. If somebody is coming to me more for, I want to make a career change, then yes, there is absolutely a proven strategy step-by-step step, where we walk through a process to help you identify what are you looking for? 
who hires those people and how are we going to get you some exposure to those organizations and prepare you for that interview so that you know it might be a week it might be two weeks most of the people who come to me are you know they're working professionals with other commitments and right. so we also have to be flexible uh and fit everything in um so you know, Sarah, do, do, do they have any fears when they come to you i mean is there is there like when a client comes to you do they actually tell you exactly or are you are you very good at picking out what needs to be improved on i think people would not be human if they didn't have fears about this process because yeah. it is fraught with um rejection and as we discussed earlier uh it's not everything is in our control it's scary to talk about ourselves it's scary to put ourselves out there in judgment and um some people have specific fears, like I just got laid off. How am I going to talk about that? Or I've been out of the workforce taking care of my children. How am I going to talk about that? Yes. So I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, some of them are really aware that they are very uncomfortable with the networking process and don't want to bother people and don't want to, um, you know, don't know what to say to encourage somebody to say yes to a, you know, a, an ask for a conversation. They're afraid they're gonna say the wrong thing. So the, part of this work is to help people understand that, um, you know, we're all humans. You're never gonna make the big mistake you're fearing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I also help people very specifically with language. How do we say that? And we work on that. And I have templates and suggestions and questions and so many resources to help support people through the process, particularly for networking, which can be very daunting. Is rejection good? You mentioned the word rejection there, that that might be a fear. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you're applying for these jobs and you mentioned earlier on that it might take seven attempts before you get some offer, uh, is the first rejection, the second rejection, third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. Is that good then going forward because it kind of builds a bit of strength and character that you know yourself, you're going to become bulletproof now that, you know, I can handle this, I'm moving forward rather than giving up after the first rejection, if that well, makes sense. <laughs> well, sure, you, you, you can't give up. And I think I wouldn't say rejection or good or bad, I would say rejection is instructive. So it's only bad if you don't take some knowledge from it. Yes. No, it's good. It's because um, you always hear, I know myself, especially the early days of going through, you, you put all the work into a job interview and, and you get the letter back and the letter back says, dear David, I'm so sorry, but you're just not for us or we don't yeah, want we went you. in another direction another direction you're kind of <laughs> sitting there going what what <laughs> and the, well, the worst thing is as well sarah is that when you see these advertisements everywhere and like we're looking for this person or that person and you think oh, well i'm in for a shot here i'm in for a chance because they're advertising these positions everywhere every week is that a red flag from a company mm. uh Yes, and I want to come back to that, but I want to address one little thing about rejection and getting yeah. that note. And that is that the rejection is actually an indication that you've dodged a bullet. Okay. 
And the reason is that you were not a fit for them. Right. Okay. So you could look at that and feel bad, but as long as you know you were your authentic self and you did your best in that interview, then it's a good thing you didn't get the job if they had rejected you because you would not have been a good fit for them. They did not see your value. They did not see something important about you. And that says something about them. So as uh, Ariana Grande says, <laughs> thank you, next. Thank you, next. That's thank it. you, next. Yeah. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> But to your question of the red flag with the regular postings, yes, uh, the, the, the quick answer is yes, it can be a red flag. So then the, the question I would ask myself is, what's the role? Because if the role is a role that hundreds of people have within a large organization, like a customer service rep, you can be assured that that company has purchased a, uh, a type of advertising package where that role will be constantly advertised, whether or not they have an immediate opening, because that role has turnover. If there are hundreds of people in a role, they're always going to be somebody getting promoted or resigning. Right. Okay. Because you do so see a lot, say, Sarah, don't you? You do see a lot. When, yeah. it's, when you see these these social media sites and we're recruiting this, recruiting that, and you're like, okay, and then you apply for the job and then you either get no response or you get a no, but they're still recruiting. And it, yes. it's continuous all the time. So all it is, time. yeah. Yeah, it's just bizarre. Yeah. yeah, and I would say that if you're really determined to get that role, uh, ask yourself if you're networking enough into the organization. Right, okay. How about then... Final question before we go. What about these virtual cup of teas or cup of coffees, especially now because we can't really meet face to face to face? Um, is it a bit cheeky sometimes? I was asked this before by uh, uh, a couple of people wrote, wrote in to ask, can you send, so say, for example, you're interviewing me right now, I'm going for this job. Is it a little bit cheeky to send the interviewer like a cup of Starbucks or a donut? to arrive at the same time as, as the interview. Is that, is that very cheeky to do? <laughs> or is that kind of like, would that stand out from the rest? This, this is actual questions I was asked. <laughs> so there's a, I think if it is authentically you and that is your personality, yeah. you won't be asking that question. You're just gonna do it. Right. If you're looking at it as a strategy, stop it. Right. <laughs> It's very creative, don't, isn't don't it? Don't try to be that <laughs> clever because the people who are going to do that are just going to do it and they're not going to ask you or me whether they should because they heard about it or read about it on the internet. Yeah, it's very creative. <laughs> it's very creative and I bet it is a winning strategy. And I know people who have used their creativity and their energy to stand out in interviews in just that way. But yes. in fact, I knew a guy who... Um, for an interview with a brewery, set up his virtual setup in front uh, and had the background all as bottles and cans from that brewery. <laughs> well, that's very clever. It was obviously authentic and nobody told him to do that. Yes. It came from his heart. He put the effort in. Yes. Which is really cool. So if you do send anybody any donuts or any cakes, make sure they're gluten-free and not <laughs> just in case of any allergies, just, just in case. <laughs> 
Yeah. Go then, uh, Sarah. So I'm on your website again, and uh, some fantastic information there. Uh, information about your background, coaching and support, online course, ebook. Um, is the ebook? Can you tell us a little bit more about the ebook? Mm. Yeah, it is designed to help people navigate LinkedIn and networking with examples of how to set up your profile to get recruiter attention. A lot of people are worried about their current manager noticing if they change something on LinkedIn. So I walk through all that. I also have templates in there about how to uh, connect with somebody effectively so that you're memorable, which is really what you're looking for. And just other general good information about how to have conversations that are gonna help you stand out from other applicants. the networking process that's brilliant and sarah also has on her website uh, the latest uh, from sarah so you can you click on the link and it has doing an annual career checkup if you're doing this you're self-sabotaging your job search how to handle unsolicited recruiters and so on there's a lot of information there as well and before we go sarah where can our listeners get in touch with you other than uh avarecareers.com are you on the Twitters and the Oh, the I'm, I'm on it and... all, yes. So on Twitter, I'm at Sarah B-A, that's S-A-R-A-H, B as in boy, A as in Andrus, uh, at Sarah B-A on Twitter. I'm Sarah B. Andrus, A-N-D-R-U-S, on LinkedIn. And I'm at Sarah B. Andrus on Instagram. And, and I would You've no problem love... with people connecting with you or getting in touch? That's easy to get in touch with me. Sarah at avaracareers.com is my email. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much to uh, Sarah Baker Andrus from avaracareers.com for chatting with me today on the uh, Wellbeing and Career World podcast. Thanks so much, Sarah. Thank you, David. It's been a pleasure.